Well, good morning, church. It's, uh, it's so good to be with you here this morning. And uh, it was just on Monday that we were together, but somehow this week it feels like it's been a long time since we've seen each other. So it's good to be in fellowship with you today. And it's just a privilege to come to God's Word once again. And as we come, we're going to continue this series of looking at reasons why Jesus came. Jesus came that. And so the one today is Jesus came that he may glorify the Father. And so we're going to look at a portion um, in John chapter 12. I'm going to read the whole section and just draw from that as we get the understanding of a key verse in verse 28 that says, Father, glorify your name. But we're going to read from verse 20 um, together in John chapter 12 this morning to verse 36. John chapter 12, verse 22, 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to, to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd was there and heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on the world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. But I, when, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law and that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you may have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This so far in God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would be glorified even as we come to the words of Jesus this morning. Even as we come to this narrative, this text, this, this wonderful account of what really happened. And pray that you'll give us hearts to receive it, Lord. Hearts to recognize what you're saying. Hearts to be changed and moved 
by the word today, that we too may glorify you with our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, we come at these moments to you as we partake of the spiritual meal. May you be glorified and honored and praised and lifted up. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've been looking at the different reasons why Jesus came. And perhaps if there's an ultimate reason, we find it on the text here this morning, that even through all those different things in terms of seeking and saving the lost and, and so on, the, the ultimate reason would be to bring glory and honor to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see in the text this morning, obviously this is through Jesus being lifted up upon the cross. But it's interesting as we come to the text this morning that we need to get the context of all of this. And that's why we've read from a little bit early on in verse 20. Why does in the middle of this portion Jesus say, Father, glorify your name? Well, if we go back to the start and look at verse 20, we find some clues as to what's going on here. And we're going to work through the text sort of verse by verse as we unpack it and we understand and then draw some application at the end. <clears throat> we find at the start here that some Greeks, who were those who were obviously proselytes to the Jewish faith, had come to Jerusalem to partake in the festival. And uh, they came along and they asked to see Jesus. It's very interesting to notice that they didn't just ask any disciple, but they asked um, James, who was from, sorry, Philip, who was from Bethsaida. And because of his background, he thought, they thought that Philip may have more sympathy on getting an appointment with this great teacher that they've heard about. Who is this Jesus? The curiosity of who Jesus was had not subsided, obviously. And even these worshippers were stirred in their hearts to kind of find out more about who Jesus was. Philip, they're not go and ask himself, but went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went together to ask Jesus and say, well, these Greeks want to come and see who you are. It's very significant that it's noted for us by John that it was Greeks who came to ask who Jesus was, and we are going to unpack that a little bit later on as we understand what Jesus meant when he said he will draw all men unto himself. But take note of that for now. There was Greek men who came and asked to see who Jesus was. And in this instance, Greek men represents the different nationalities of the world over and above the Jewish nations whom Jesus was speaking to in these circumstances, apart from these Greek men who had come to see him. Jesus responds by saying this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, Jesus had spoken about a number, on a number of occasions that he was going to die. He, 
Retrospectively, I guess the disciples could look back and they could say, yes, we remember that Jesus spoke about that. We remember, and as they recorded the Gospels for us, we have that recorded for us. On a a number of occasions, Jesus had spoken about his death. But perhaps in those moments, they didn't understand what he was speaking about. And here's this last instance as he comes and he predicts his death death once again. He says, the hour has come, the moment, the portion of time has come where the Son of Man will be glorified. How are we to understand that? Well, we need to understand firstly, what, what does he mean by glorify? It's very interesting as we look at that word, it means to bring honor, it means to recognize as great it means to exalt to a position of honor, to make glorious, to lift up his name, to bring focus. One, one commentator says that the word really means it's kind of like to, to take the spotlight and to shine the spotlight on somebody and a couple of weeks ago, we had that wonderful children's nativity here in the church. And it was so great to use those spotlights that can shine different colors. And as we went through the program, uh, the different elements of that was reflected in the colors that were, were sh- shining down on the stage. And, and that's kind of the image of what it means to glorify. It means to take the light off something else and to bring the focus down onto one particular person. And that's why I've got a picture of a of a spotlight there shining down. It's to bring the focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not, not everybody's going to receive that focus on the Lord Jesus Christ in a positive way in these next days and hours that lay ahead of Jesus. But ultimately, the focus was going to be on Jesus, and ultimately, it was going to be for the glory of our Heavenly Father. And that's why Jesus says, The hour has come, for the Son of Man to be glorified. We need to understand also that if Jesus is glorified, so is the Father glorified. And if Jesus walks in obedience to the Father's will, in this case, the purpose that He's come, He will glorify the Father. So Jesus, in predicting His death, says, The time has now come. Imagine his disciples. What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? Listen to what Jesus says next. Because in the midst of this passage, it's a very complex passage this morning, but very interesting. In the midst of Jesus saying that he's going to die, and Jesus saying that he's going to bring glory to the Father, we find this next parabolic statement. Now, We know about the the parables of Jesus. And a parable is where Jesus takes some spiritual truth and he he illustrates the spiritual truth by using something out of everyday life. You know the parable of the the sower and so on. Um, But here is maybe not a full parable, but what we would call a parabolic statement, that he takes a spiritual truth and he applies something out of everyday life. Listen to what Jesus says in the midst of speaking about his own death. He says this, I tell you the truth, that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I don't know if there's any farmers here, 
But in ancient Israel, they understood this very clearly. Apparently, if you take an average wheat plant, that if you plant a single seed, that one plant will produce up to five heads of wheat. And on the heads of the wheat, each head can have up to 22 kernels. That's 110 and possibly more, depending on the variety of wheat that you plant. But let's take an average here this morning. You can, you can correct me if I'm wrong on the information that I have, if there are any farmers here today. But the point is that one seed will produce a whole lot more. But that one seed needs to die. And Jesus is pointing primarily and firstly to his own death. And he's telling the folks who are listening to him, he says, the Son of Man needs to die. And through dying, the Father is going to be glorified. But through dying, life is going to be produced. And spiritual life for those who will receive him. It's very interesting as he goes on, because in the midst of this, we find not only Jesus speaking about his own death, but in the midst of this, we find a challenge for those who are listening and a challenge for you and I this morning about this. Verse 25 says this, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. We speak so often about giving Jesus lordship of our lives. But what does it mean? It means surrender. It means to hate one's life in this world and to put preference for Christ to live in our lives. Paul wrote, for me to die is gain. And what did he put? Sorry, I'm getting my words mixed up here. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And if we turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26, we find this wonderful passage, 24 to 26. I'm looking in the wrong book here this morning. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man who gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. What a challenge. In the midst of Jesus speaking about his own death, we find this call. We find this challenge. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to die. But if you're really going to follow after me, you need to surrender. You need to give yourself up. That's what it means to follow Jesus. 
And Jesus doesn't just say, follow me with surrender and not give us an example. Jesus gave the ultimate example, as we know, by going to the cross. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And friends, we will not have an impact in the kingdom of God unless we die to ourselves. Who is king of your life? There's a beautiful old hymn that we used to sing in our church in South Africa. King of my life, I crown thee now. Is Jesus king? Is he Lord? Is he... And that's a, what a challenge, even as I prepared. Paul, does, does, does Christ have complete lordship of your life? Have you surrendered all? You may have come to faith in him, but is there a corner, and which we were challenged about this a couple of weeks ago as well, is there a corner of our lives that we haven't surrendered? Because Jesus is surrendering to the Father's will. The next thing that we see in our text here this morning is that after Jesus brings that bit of teaching, that bit of challenge to those who are listening, he comes and speaks about his own anguish. And we find here in verse 27, he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, Glorify your name. We find, even in the gospel, even though the gospel of John doesn't record the garden of Gethsemane. And if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And just looking at some passages here. It's really important we understand the midst of what Jesus is saying here. We find some parallels as to what was taking place in the garden of Gethsemane. On those occasions, we see in John in our text this morning that Jesus was carrying a load. It says, Now my heart is troubled. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 38 says this. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed. With sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. We understand at that moment that as Jesus moved towards the cross, that he was carrying the load and the weight of the Son of the world. Jesus wasn't just another person dying on the cross, he was going to die a physical death. But at the same time, he was the propitiation for our sins. And in these moments where Jesus says this, <coughs> my heart is troubled. He is carrying the weight of what, about, what is about to happen. In fact, even so that he, that he says this, Father, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prays this, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. 
yet not as I will, but as you will. We find surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane. We find in our text here this morning that Jesus is coming and surrender to the Father. He says, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Isn't that amazing? What, what a picture. What a picture of obedience of the Son of God to the Father's will. What an amazing portion here today. And Jesus comes to that hour and he comes to the, the full weights of those hours that lay ahead of him. Not just a death, but a death carrying the sons of this world. And he carried the weights of the sons of the world. And I think we don't often understand that. And here he is. And he comes and surrenders and says, No, it was for this very reason that I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In other words, the spotlight of all of creation is going to be turned. It's going to be pointed towards the glory of our Heavenly Father, the glory of Christ, the glory of what He's done upon the cross. Isn't that so amazing, so magnificent? John 13 verse 31 says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. Look at the Father's response as Jesus has just prayed. Father, glorify your name. He says, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And if we look through the ministry of Jesus, when we look at the miraculous birth of Jesus, who was glorified? The Father was glorified in what He is doing. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see time and time and time again, the name of the Father is glorified. Whatever Jesus did in His life and ministry was to glorify the Father. We find if we turn back just a chapter to the raising of Lazarus in John 11 verse 4. We know the story of Lazarus, that there was a pause and a waiting until Jesus actually went to Lazarus. But we find this. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And we know that Jesus raised Lazarus to life, and, and God was glorified. Jesus was glorified in those moments, all Jesus did was to glorify the Father. And as he moves towards the cross in these moments, there's a promise from the Father that he's going to glorify it again. And there's a culmination of all that glory, all those items of glory, all that, those, those moments where Jesus was turning the spotlights 
and all the things that happened would turn the spotlight towards the glory of the Father. It's interesting that the crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken. But listen to what Jesus says to the crowd as they murmured amongst themselves. Can you imagine being there? The Father speaks out. It's not very often that this happens, that the Father sort of spoke out down in New Testament times in that way. But this is one occasion, and, and many of them didn't recognize what was happening. Oh, it's, a, it's thunder. Oh, it's angels speaking. But Jesus says this to the crowd that's listening. He says, the voice was for your, your benefit, not mine. Do you see that even in that moment, even in the Father's immediate response to Jesus' submission and prayer, Father, glorify your name. All of a sudden, here's the voice from heaven just edifying and glorifying the Son and making sure that the Son is authenticated in front of all those witnesses. Again, glory back to our Heavenly Father. And as we work through here in what Jesus says, He says now in verse 31, He says, Now is the time for judgment on the world. Why? Because the very people who condemned Jesus were bringing judgment upon themselves. That in the moments of Jesus heading towards the cross and then being condemned to die upon the cross, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who had no sin became sin for us. And the world sent Jesus, or the world condemned Jesus. And he went and he died upon the cross. And the judgment in these moments is upon the world. And he says, and he continues and says, Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Who's the prince of the world? The enemy. You see, until Jesus came and he died upon the cross, the enemy had a stronghold on the nations. He had the stronghold on men and women. Before Jesus died upon the cross, there was not a way to go to the Father to receive redemption and to receive the forgiveness of sins. But as soon as Jesus died upon the cross, as soon as Jesus was lifted up, as we see in these verses, that God is glorified, and now there is a way for eternal life. Now there's a way for those who would believe to receive all that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. Before the work of Jesus, it was not possible. But this is God's redeeming plan. And now it's been revealed in Jesus Christ's. Because the prince of this world is driven out because he loses power over the nations. And if you remember, I just told you to take note of the very fact that the Greeks had come to ask to see Jesus. And Jesus speaks these very things to all who are hearing, both primarily the Jews that were been following him, but also just these Greek men that had asked to see Jesus. Because he has a very, very important message for us and for them as they received that message from Jesus firsthand. Verse 32 says, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. 
And we need to be careful as we understand this. Many people say, well, this means that whenever Christ is preached, that men are drawn unto himself. Well, that's true, but that's not the meaning of the text here. That is a biblical truth, but that's not what the text is saying here. So we have to be careful that we don't read that into here. But what Jesus is, is really speaking very specifically about his lifting up upon the cross. And he says that when I am lifted up, all men, Speaking to those Jews, those, those Greeks that came into the presence of Jesus, those Greeks who represented the other tribes and nations of the world, and not just the Jewish people, hearers, immediate Jewish hearers that Jesus was speaking to. He says, all men, I will draw all men unto myself. What an amazing and a beautiful picture. The death of Jesus on the cross will have a drawing effect on all nations. It will draw the multitudes out of every nation to receive him as Lord and Savior. If you'll turn with me to chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 14. That encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus says, Nicodemus comes out of the darkness into the light. It's very interesting. Note the times as you read through the Gospel of John that John makes an emphasis on speaking about light and darkness. And that's not for this morning, but just take note of that. Nicodemus came out of the dark and he came um, and he started to glean some spiritual understanding. But this is what Jesus says in, <coughs> excuse me, in John chapter 3, verse 14. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You remember that story? As Moses was leading the people through the, de through the desert, there was a huge sickness, um, and uh, Moses was told to put a snake on a stick. He lifted it up, and anybody who was sick would look towards that snake that was lifted up on a stick. And there's been an analogy drawn here by Lord Jesus to what he was going to do on the cross. In Moses' time, it was a physical illness. But with Jesus, there's a spirit, <coughs> spiritual illness in terms of our own sinfulness. That when we look to Christ... And we place our faith and trust in him, as Jesus says here very clearly. He says, everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Everyone who believes. Those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. Not one particular people group, as, as we know in John 3 verse 16. For God has so loved the world, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? That the Son of God is glorifying the Father, and because of the glorifying of the Father through being lifted up upon the cross, that He's going to draw men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation unto Himself. What's an amazing and a beautiful picture. Turn with me very quickly if you can, if you fast in the pages. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. 
What a beautiful picture. And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What an amazing, amazing, beautiful picture here that we find in this text. Let's read on a bit. When I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crown spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? They understood what lifted up means. And lifted up clearly meant being died being killed and crucified upon the cross. Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus told them, you are going to have the light for just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it. And listen to this, so that you may become sons of light. Here again, Jesus is calling people to have faith and to trust in Him and to receive that salvation that comes from Christ. That central point in our text, Father, glorify your name. Every occasion that we've been together focusing on the Advent season, we've made it clear that it doesn't finish in the manger. That's not the end of the story. It culminates with the sun being lifted up. The glorification of the Father through the Son. And the ultimate glorification of the Father at the end of time. When all that he promises will be fulfilled. What amazing hope we have as believers, isn't it? And Jesus, in the midst of those people listening, says, Father, glorify your name. And he says it in surrender, in submission, in obedience. And friends, if we take something out of it today, we take simply as we've been speaking about that Jesus came to glorify the Father. I think we've got that. We also take out of this that he made the way for our salvation by being lifted up. Isn't it interesting that the thing that was most despised in Jesus' day, the Roman cross. Do you know that the Roman cross was... Understand that the Roman cross was a symbol that was not even displayed for the first 300 years after the death of Jesus within the Christian church. Such a despised symbol was the cross. 
People could not look towards the cross. So dirty and despised was, was the cross. And yet our Heavenly Father used the most wretched symbol of mankind at the time to bring glory to His name and salvation for those who would believe. Another thing that we need to take away from this text this morning is that Jesus made it clear that obedience to the Father was glorifying the Father. And even in the midst of speaking about his own death, he says, if you're going to follow me, you need to surrender. And what a challenge as we face a new year, as we reflect on Jesus glorifying the Father, as we reflect on all these wonderful things. Here we find the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. We're going to look towards a year ahead of submission to following Jesus. What a challenge. The portions of our lives, we know him as, may know him as Lord and Savior, but sometimes there's portions of our lives that we haven't given over to him. Maybe this is the challenge for us, to walk in obedience and to follow the example of our master as he brought glory to the Father. So you and I, as God's people, we are called to, to glorify the Father. John Piper, in a wonderful book on missions called Let the Nations Be Glad, says the chief end of man is to worship. And that means glorify. Not just worship with our voices, but worship with our lives. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for this amazing text. I want to thank you that in the midst of all of this, there's a, there's a sensitivity of Jesus to the needs of those men that came seeking after him. There's a sensitivity of challenge to follow after him. There's a sensitivity of setting an example of what it means to glorify the Father. There's a tremendous explanation of the reason why he has come. And there's clarity on the means to which he will draw all men, all men from all nations unto himself. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that through Jesus, your name is glorified. That through Jesus, we have a way to eternal life. We have a means to also bring glory to you. And so, Heavenly Father, as we sit on the eve of a new year, we pray that as we face a new year, that this won't just be a New Year's resolution that fades away, but it'll be a life commitment of, of constantly examining our lives and asking, are we following you with everything we've got? Are you glorified in every aspect of our lives? And so, Heavenly Father, 
won't you by your spirit send us away with this challenge and may your word do the work that you intend for us to do in the hearts and lives of your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.